it's not the technology of the day, the obligations, nor other people that distract us from truly experiencing the very real tenderness of this. This happening, this apparent unfolding experience that's right here and now. In fact, your investigation into the source of distraction will reveal that it's really about the habitual avoidance of feelings and emotions, which significantly impacts your natural openness to allow tenderness to flow. Listening to teenagers, it's so clear in their voices, the hesitation to acknowledge the current feeling, though once they've recognized that they have been seen, absent of judgment or opinion making, tenderness is the only word to describe the beauty of how they show up. There's a beautiful magic that happens, a wonderful synchronicity of truth-telling, emotional maturity, and healing that's so, well, tender. Are such words common for you to think or say out loud? Maybe there are other words you use which may not quite get to the heart of what you intend to express. How are you feeling right now? If you say that I'm feeling raw or sensitive, Might a word like tender be just as accurate, if not more so? Tenderness is commonly seen in the context of relationships or a soreness in an injured part of the body, which, interestingly, might appear as having no similarity. In the example of physical pain, you might recoil when the injury is touched. And in the case of feeling a deep connection with someone, the opposite of recoiling is happening. There appears to be a movement towards the other. So to help ensure that we don't intellectualize what's being talked about here, 
Take this opportunity to breathe in deeply. Let whatever thoughts or feelings come up and allow them to dissipate on their own without any clinging to or resisting the current feeling, emotion, or thought. Recognize that before thought happens, understanding is already present. What is being offered here does not require your intellect nor any philosophical framework. And please, don't take my word for it. Investigate this for yourself. Simply be open and sincere in listening and being receptive. Do you see that there is no distance between you and the felt experience of pain, for example, which might seem an odd question to pose if you are unfamiliar with Eastern spiritual teachings like Buddhism or Advaita. The question is actually an invitation in attending to your immediate, direct experience without the stories we tell ourselves. Using your imagination or even a memory, envision that you're holding hands with someone. You turn to look at them They smile, and without a thought, you respond with a spontaneous smile. Simply notice the felt sense of tenderness you might be experiencing, and remain with this as much as you feel that you can. Notice that It's not something that resides outside of you as some mysterious force between two people drawing them closer. Indeed, all that is imagined, remembered, and perceived is intimately here with you and as you. So in a very experiential way, we can see that the perceived boundaries or beliefs of separateness are simply just well-ingrained thoughts cultivated into beliefs. Someone once said to me, that being tender is a courageous act. And they expressed this as if it were 
an absolute truth, as if courage is some sort of prerequisite. I suggested that courage may arise as a helpful spark, though all that's truly required is a sense of openness. Look at how you respond or feel when you hear the word tenderness. Is there a recoiling from the mere mention of the word? What do you imagine is behind that resistance? Is it your tendency in being open to the current experience, even when that experience includes, say, traumatic events or mild discomfort? There is a deep tenderness in feeling upset or watching someone come to a profound realization and even experiencing the apparent end of a relationship. You could say that I encourage you to remain open to the beautifully diverse, loving, and organic qualities of life that is unfolding right now. With this thought or this sensation, however, the encouragement alone would be insufficient in being liberated of mental and bodily conditioning. You could simply begin with accepting the encouragement and possibly through enthusiasm and curiosity remain open to the reality of the moment. You might even allow for some reflection, creating some space between the thoughts, feelings, and activities. And you know it's really in these gaps where a sense of openness, acceptance, tenderness, and listening seem to emerge A number of years ago, while meeting with a friend and her daughter in San Francisco, the teenager tearfully asked me to explain why the world doesn't seem to share in her recognition that life is meant to be loving, cooperative, and understanding. It would take me a few moments to respond as it was essential that she felt seen and she certainly wasn't alone in her emotion. That natural space allowed for a more mindful exchange 
the feeling of a shared sense of being was very much present, which is precisely what we find in meaningful dialogue. And with it, deep listening flowed as freely as our collective tears. I told her that I understood. It would indeed appear that the world is unjust and people are so caught up in their own pain that they feel incapable of opening up, much less listen, even when you're sharing something so profound. And then I asked her, what do you feel is the reason or what's behind this apparent fearful and disconnected state that plagues so many people? I was amazed that she didn't respond immediately. She appeared to just drop right in to the knowing of her own sense of self. For in eternity, there was love looking at itself with no compulsion to get it right, to be done with the conversation, or to see the experience as anything other than precisely what it is. She told me that she doesn't pretend to know what motivates people to do what they do. But, she said, I feel that if people were to just reflect or meditate on what's important, that life will be much more simple and kind. There it was. The simple truth told by a wise sage. To the mind, the cafe where we sat was seemingly infused with tenderness, though in reality there's only the experience of tenderness appearing as a cafe and us in it. The feeling of tenderness is so exquisite. Yet it would be such a disservice to refer only to how an experience feels. It certainly includes how we perceive and therefore how we relate to what appears to be others, a world, and ourselves. Jess Bolt is our guest today. She's a beloved therapist, social worker, mother, and passionate advocate for trauma-informed care, especially for underserved communities. 
Her work as a community organizer is broadly about mental health and healing, though centrally there's a focus on clinical work as well as complex trauma, post-traumatic growth, and contemplative practices. We were introduced by a friend as part of a dialogue about serving community and tapping into the wonderful expanded services she's co-created called Maitri Mental Health, which currently includes yoga, massage, workshops, and an array of holistic practices in mental health. So, when the idea of a podcast emerged, Maitri beautifully opened their heart to become our host, in the literal sense, as their West Vancouver location has become our mobile studio. Jess shares her insights on being tender and how she saw this so clearly in the experiences and people of Rwanda and its evident reality and her connections with clients and family and everyday life. In our dialogue, she shares about operating from the heart and the different kinds of resistances in working with trauma and the human connection that's called for in effective healing work. It's very apparent in being with her that her approach of compassion, empathy, and peace are not simply outwardly directed messages. It's inwardly lived so beautifully. I told a friend once that with some emotion that when I see you, I see tenderness. And it was a confused look on their face, but that quickly morphed into some degree of acceptance, or at least she recognized where I was coming from. There was a lot of that resistance and being seen. So what comes up for you? I think the first thing that comes up is, you know, gratitude for the word. Just that it's a conversation that we're having. I feel like culturally there's a lot of um, a distance between people. There's a lot of barriers between people. There's a lot of hard lines. And sometimes that word... Really can be seen as a weakness to be soft, right? To be um, heartfelt, and um, I think me personally, from a really young age, you know, just leading with heart, you know, like that was always my thing as a kiddo. You know, like I want to go with my kid that needs something, <laughs> um, and I think in children we see that, you know, when we see have a you know daughter and seeing children um, we see that so often as a part of human language a primal human language that we have 
as a therapist. It's my number one language between people is feeling and my sense of openness, my sense of feeling, my sense of believing. And, um, and in that, there is a transparency. And no matter, I mean, again, whether it's global travel, whether it's, you know, therapy, whether it's talking to people with diverse backgrounds, trauma history, where there could be seemingly so many different layers or barriers um, in tenderness and of heart, you know, within an instant sometimes there's like a knowingness. I see you and you see me and there's this moment. And I think it's uh, important, if not, you know, uh, a very pivotal thing that we now as people come to that, you know, come to that feeling you know, with each other and knowing that it's, it's not a bad thing or it's not a weak thing or scary, you know, even. So something to really like lean into. Um, so I love it. I, I think it makes people uncomfortable with me being so okay with it. Right. <laughs> um, but the healing that I have seen from that is, uh, it'll, it'll, it will always be my life's work to lead with heart and, and for other people hopefully to know that it's okay to do that. Uh, again, it's how, you know, we're here. Love is real. Love is a neurobiological healing agent. And so I think it's important that we kind of go back to those roots um, in so many different areas of, of life. And so Maitri, right, is, uh, the, the word is Sanskrit, and it really means a love for oneself. But that is tenderness, right? We're, yes. we're challenging people, actually, to kind of come into those layers that maybe one is uncomfortable with. Um, but yet it's where healing begins and it's where community is. It's, it's the sweetest thing. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you sense that if we could say this agency of tenderness is is common in therapist and their approach or is that a side note i don't know in a lot of professions sometimes there's a lot of ego and you know that's something that uh, we always kind of talk about about especially Western culture, especially when you're dealing with healing. A lot of it can be ego, and some of it is leading with more brain than heart. Right. Um, so I, I hope it's something that practitioners, therapists, are coming to an awareness that it's okay. I think some of it is that fear. You know, if I hug a client, if I touch a client, if I'm a human... I mean, ultimately, if I'm a human, is this going to be, is this okay? Right. Right, to do. And um, so I, I think hopefully there's enough people having this conversation and definitely needs to be looking at that, but opening the door for um, the important parts of being a human.
could you say about that experience of having um, someone embody to whatever degree a sense of trauma and bringing that into the room, asking you to help in some way? It's beautiful that you not just perceive it in that way, but you live it, live life in that way. And so that sounds to me that there's no uh, work mode and life mode, that it's all the same mode. Yeah. Right. So that that word is used in our in our profession quite a bit. Uh, it is uh, kind of being called to a higher purpose uh, for whatever reason. So I always feel like it's a it's a divine kind of connection, you know, that I get to to live out loud for sure. And I wouldn't be true, and the work wouldn't be right if I wasn't being me. Sometimes that's uncomfortable, and it's going to come with a certain kind of criticism, and that's okay. I think more than ever, we need more people to speak from from the heart. Yes. Would you say that tenderness is just another word for love?
there's some intention around that. So I think in love, love is love, and there's a lot of ways to be in that word. Uh, but I think for me, tenderness has an intention around it. There's some meaning to be tender, to um, to sit with maybe the uncomfortability um, of what could happen, or what you could hear, or what you could feel, and the willingness to feel it um, with, with the heart remaining open. And that is, I think, a, a lifelong practice. You know, I think tenderness is a lifelong pra you know, practice and journey. Um, you know, that word is used quite a bit, but I think there is a, a, uh, a process in the heart staying open. You know, it's when we're very intentional about that, uh, every moment, I think we're, we're met with uh, something that could easily close it or have avoiders or minimize something. Anything else that comes up for you that your heart speaks to right now? Uh, there was a, a conversation that I had with someone and they were, uh, they were really depressed, really depressed and I was kind of talking to them about, you know, my tree or therapy or, you know, services or healing. And they're like, no, I just want medication and this is what I want. And nothing against medication, but they were like, no, this is it. This is all I want. And I'm like, okay, that's completely okay. But what's, you know, what is that? The motivation of that kind of quick answer too. It was like, it's science. It's science, like this is what it is. And I think the interesting thing around tenderness is that I think historically it could be seen as an alternative to healing um, or a mindset you know, that one gets to. And I think what's exciting is that actually neuroscience talks all about the healing around tenderness, the, um, the neurobiology of our opening. Um, so like, you know, for you and I sitting across from each other, you know, there is something that is happening on a cellular level right. with individuals um, coming with that different kind of heart space, you know, open, um, that there is you know, healing that comes from that. And now I think it's interesting because science uh, is talking about the science of love and how the science of love uh, can be quantifiable, you know, in a, in a way. Sure. So when we look at individuals, you know, healing or depression, mental health, you know, those are words used for condition. A lot of times we look at conditions around isolation, loneliness, the lack of uh, community, the lack of connection. So what we are seeing in mental health is that a lot of um, disease, diagnosis, you know, illness, um, and some is, is chronic, but some of it is, you know, due to the lack of that kind of openness, you know, that one can have within themselves or with, uh, with their community. So uh, I think it's an exciting time for um, practitioners or healers, whatever you, know, you want to call them, to not just have a like a, a judgment around that or a want for someone or a personal bias, right? But there are a lot of kind of scientific 
conversations, you know, that can be had around this. And I think that's really important, especially for individuals where because of whatever circumstance or cultural, you know, condition, it's just blocked off. You know, there's that kind of openness and that kind of softness of oneself is really blocked off. And there is kind of a hard line and that historically has been kind of justified by science. <laughs> and, right. Um, so it's a, it's a really neat thing, I think, again, to be able to ha- give a lot of people information so there's a lot more doors opening up rather than closing. Um, and again, I think, you know, anybody needs to come with uh, information so it doesn't just come off of, I think you should do this, or this is a good idea for you. So I think for myself and a lot of us, you know, I tree too, um, it's pretty neat to be able to, to see you know, how much love cures, literally. Absolutely. everyone that I've met at my tree from someone who's at the front desk to all the providers that I've met have a sense of openness and receptivity that isn't a byproduct of well I'm a counselor so therefore it's far more natural as opposed to a prescriptive approach to say, yes, how can I help you? (laughs) Is there a problem? And that's really the kind of the expectation. You know, our work is really done. Again, the word is about um, love for oneself and then how that moves outward. As long as our focus is to ourselves and how are we functioning, how are we talking to, to each other, there's nothing to worry about. And I'm the first one to like knock on people's door. Like, how are you doing? No, really. How are you doing? You know, I'm always going to check in on people um, because it's easy. To, it's you know, I think sometimes a therapist you can get in a invisible barrier. Like I'm the therapist, so therefore, um, right. We don't talk about this. We don't. About, I'm like, no. <laughs> This last week, though, was really lovely, too, because because of that um, shared spirit, I always call it, there's a, like, there's a shared spirit, you know, within all of us, there's a shared energy. Um, so now we have community partners with just a couple blocks of us. Um, so we've been searching, you know, kind of knocking on doors for people that kind of share that same vision around uh, helping people especially with trauma and resiliency. Uh, that's kind of the language that I'm, I'm using. So it's as a mental health clinic, how do you how do you do that in you know Western states without using diagnosis or illness or disease, these kind of words? We know though um, that those haven't been helping people. You know, our rates of, of mental health, suicide, um, it's, it's a symptom that says something's not working. Um, and we can't use a medical model to help people when it comes to, you know, emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, right? Like, you know, it's the whole yeah. self. It's a whole being. Um, there's definitely a physical plane. 
Um, but yet there's all these other kind of dynamics that really go into um, someone's uh, felt sense of, of being okay or, or, you know, within themselves. And so there's a few uh, organizations here, Breathing Room, Emerge, uh, Clinic, um, Enlight. Uh, Hyperbarics, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so the other night we had like 24 people in the room and just talking around, hey, this is what we're doing, but we know that we can't do it all. And we also know that a lot of the trauma comes from not having community. It's our responsibility as human beings to show up for each other. And so it's kind of easy to stay, again, as an agency and be like, okay, we, we provide, you know, X, Y, Z. But what are we, you know, what are we talking about? Like we're talking about these fractures that have happened. So if we're really yeah. about healing, if we're really around helping, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, gather community and, and how are we showing up for people and how are we going to coordinate care and how are we saying, we see you, we recognize you and, you know, this, these, we're here to, you know, serve you, like not about services, um, but we're here yeah. to help. And, and I think that has been, I mean, if I think about, so it's been uh, social work for like 20 years, but if I think about like highlight that's definitely it, just to seeing so many people from uh, the community come out around this just passion to help, you know, people and to really create community. Because again, when we think of trauma, when we think about, I mean, the clinical word PTSD, a lot of that isn't necessarily because an event happened. It's because the lack of care after, whether that's from... Um, their family, whether that's from their school, work, culture, you know, what have you. But the trauma doesn't need to be isolated to the therapy room. Right. right? We don't, yeah. you know, there's, you know, there's, especially when we look at what's happening, we have to talk about it. It's the not talking about it that creates disease, um, disease in, in our communities and our culture. So, and again, then it puts all the kind of the burden on the individual. They didn't do that. The time to do something is right now. You can't wait. There's no time to be waiting. And we would have to ask the question, what would be the motivation to put it off? Is that avoidance? Yes. Is Yeah. And not being the first one to speak because it is too overwhelming. Or it is simply my habit to avoid. And 
change the way that I could have conversations with someone. And again, I am a white, blonde hair, blue-eyed person. I will forever have a certain amount of privilege. That's true. Um, and to be able to have dialogue, you know, around that, to be able to hear, um, to trade, you know, different kind of stories, you know, for other people, other kind of cultures to hear my story as well. Um, but it's a, it's a platform, you know, to be able to say, this is our social responsibility, you know, to help and also see and to um, be aware of, um, you know, what, again, what could be barriers in our own self that could ever, you know, kind of create that distance. And I, I do think it does kind of come along with recognizing privilege. I think you have to recognize your privilege to be able to see pain or suffering. That's the holistic view, right? That is the self-awareness that you, as you are, are part of the equation. Mm -hmm. Exactly, right? And to dismiss that is avoidance mm -hmm. or denial. It's interesting, though, you know, traveling globally, so in Rwanda, where, you know, genocide happens, um, even, you know, Vietnam, I think that was such a, a learning lesson as an American going over to those countries about, you know, those particular individuals, their sense of gratitude, their sense of connectedness, their sense of selflessness to help each other, their community. It, there was no I, me, you know, that kind of language, like how, our language around like me and I. Right. And for so, I mean, those just kind of, you know, blew me away about it's just we and how are we going to do this together? And I think in America, sometimes people are threatened. Well, if individuals are to, um, you know, lack of a better word, kind of like rise up, then I'm going to be losing something. Right. I think there can be a threat there for certain individuals or that that idea. The perception. The perception of that. Yeah. And um, again, kind of traveling, you know, globally where it's just everyone, you know, benefits, you know, from that. And um, I think there's so much to gain from, again, cultures that really uh, are embedded still in each other and connectedness and, and community uh, through uh, not just seeing each other's pain and helping but also their celebrations you know I mean whatever yeah. it is um, and when you think of kind of trauma like I know for me what my thought was kind of going into you know, countries that especially had you know genocide or war um, and their health was amazing, their love, their, um, uh, their happiness, um, and it's, it's my hope, especially like things that you're, you know, that you're doing, you know, Lisa, especially for like this podcast, so to be able to have some more doors open and some more awakening, hopefully, for individuals that may just not know, because I feel like people are so inundated right now with so much negativity, just inundated with, I mean, we've, we're so out of alignment, I feel like culturally. It's sure. So, when you come into a system, it can be really hard to even think that there's another way. 
Sure. Especially when it's inundated and there's a lot of fear. You know, just when I think of like my nerdy brain goes to all the information that people are getting and what that's happening to the brain, which is you're, you're putting someone in a primal fight or flight. So the the ability to think different, to pause, to play around with an idea, to be curious, is really limited. And that's, you know, those, those are all kind of tactics of power and control. That kind of fear and those kind of ideas aren't necessarily the truth. And there are people, and there's a community of people, and, you know, globally, um, that are excited about, you know, supporting a different kind of, you know, language and supporting people who are curious. Um, but it is nice to see, again, more access, more accessibility, because there, it, it, it concerns me how much um, information people are getting that is so fear-based, um, that has people in a kind of a, a threat mode. Um, yeah. Not because they're choosing it, but because they're being told certain things again thank you so much for what you're doing yeah um, you know to allow people that kind of accessibility to themselves um, whatever it is asking uh, questions to themselves or insight into cultural conditions that could be affecting uh, their way of thinking um, and also just awareness about what are we ingesting uh, the quality you know, I think in the topic, too, of, like, you know, tenderness, it, it, you know, when we're binge-watching, you know, things, especially popular content that people are binge-watching, it's those uh, microaggressions toward each other. Right. That I think a lot of people are consuming. Yeah. Right? So thinking about that, you know, I guess just in my mind, and I'm thinking about, you know, that on a broader scale, about when it comes to... <coughs> You know, tenderness, empathy. Um, you know what what happens too, and that was always I think like ten years ago. I you know, like, oh man, I'm really worried about what's going to happen about you know our empathy, our ability to be empathetic, um, just because of what the cultural conditions around like microaggression and these subtle things that people are are I mean again consuming, um, kind of silently or sleepingly yes um, and yet what is that doing to the way that individuals are perceiving you know human behavior interactions you know with people that tenderness quality you know where you know thinking about that, like where are people getting you know getting that in mass media
the end of a talk I was giving, a woman gently approached me and asked for a hug. I could say that I obliged or that we embraced, though to speak of it more accurately, I simply opened my arms and love surrendered to itself. It's in this loving presence, she whispered to me, only this is real. I replied with silence, as it was the only truth in that moment. She had utterly embodied tenderness, like a fire tender, being one who tends to the fire. She tended to the truth, to love, to the sweetness of this. Are you recalling right now your own experience of this tenderness? Are you finding words difficult or easy right now? Tenderness, in truth, hasn't gone anywhere. It is not something that's been taken from you. Though in moments of despair or frustration, the recognition of tenderness in everyday life would seem to be overshadowed. The 2 a.m. call from a friend, anguished and depleted, telling me that they just want to die, is an incredibly tender experience. Tender beyond description. On the surface, it would appear that a dialogue is happening between two people. Though in truth... There's only awareness, a loving, compassionate awareness that's embracing the experience with all its uncertainty, attending only to what is, which means being fully available to address what's called for in the moment leaving no room for trying to manipulate the situation, nor avoiding the reality right in front of an apparent us. And if you're saying to yourself right now that you don't recognize this awareness in the way that's being spoken of here, then Without trying to arrive at a conclusion or change how you feel, just for a moment, see if you can identify any object or obstacle that's hindering you. Truly look. See how the perceived obstacles 
aren't quite as solid as you have once believed. Be open to the investigation of your true nature, which includes questioning what you truly know about that which is apart from or separate from you. Are you not presently aware of being aware? <laughs>